0: This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture today is John sixteen thirty three, and you can find it on page 903 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. John 16:33 I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world Hey good morning everybody good morning my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here and if I haven't met you yet or if it's one of your first time Uh, one of your, uh, your first time here or you haven't worshiped with us before, I get the opportunity to say, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Before I begin this morning, I want to do two things. First, I want to, uh, I want to say happy Father's Day. Happy, Happy Father's Day to the, I'm looking around at the different men who I know in this room who are fathers. Um, We're welcomed in the New Testament to call God our Father, and this is a place where we want to honor and love and cherish fathers. We love fathers in this church. We love the way that they love and lead and sacrifice and give and shape our community and shape our family. So, happy Father's Day. Thanks for being here. Second thing I want to say is, I made it. I made it through kidney surgery. Uh, I, I want to take the opportunity, since I'm up front, to uh, thank you all again on behalf of the Martin family and the Crow family. Um, I, I sat down with somebody about a week and a half before surgery, and I said, so how, long, how long were you really, really out? And he was like, I took off six weeks of work, and I needed every single second of it. And I was, and I was like, oh, geez, man, like, I didn't want to hear that. Uh, so I was a little bit discouraged going into it, like I was going to be on my back for six weeks or something like that, and I definitely wasn't. Um, I've been doing work-type stuff since week two, and I've been back pretty much full-time for two weeks already, more or less. Um, so I attribute that to like God just being gracious and generous and answering prayer. Um, my recovery's been ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. Um, I'm still resisting uh, the temptation to pick up my children because I feel very good. And that's what they say will really put me back out. But I'm really, really, really thankful to be back. And I'm really, really thankful for the ways that this body just came around these families and held us up, Um, meals, practical serving, even like financially just blessing us, just different ways that like we've experienced just insane amounts of love and support, and care from the body of Christ. And I want to honor this body for being like faithful to that opportunity and call. So thank you. Thank you from the Crows, from Rochelle and my kids. Thank you from the Martins, from from Holly and Andrew and their kiddos. Thank you so, so, so much. I'm really thankful to be back. I'm really, really excited. So with that, let me just pray for us and ask God to be with us and open up his word to us, and then I'll get rolling. So Father, man, you define what it means to be a father on a, on a holiday in our culture like Father's Day. Um, you are so opposite of so many versions of a father that the world tells us to um, to look at or expect or see uh, or demean or, um, or lose hope in. There's so many examples um, out in culture that tell us what fatherness is, but you define it. Absolutely thoroughly, supernaturally, perfectly from before the beginning of time. So, Father, we gather in this place, in a building with a high ceiling, to look up at the mountain of God and approach the Father this morning in worship. We delight to be your children. We delight to sit in your, in your, uh, uh, under your word and, and in your family. So would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, take the words of Christ in this moment and apply them to our hearts in deeper and fuller ways that convict us of sin, that comfort us where we're uh, despairing, that strengthen us where we're weak, that feed us where we're hungry. By the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthen us, nourish us this morning, I ask, through your word. We trust you, we believe you, we look to you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, as I read uh, this text throughout the week over and over and over again and just thought about it and meditated on it, the first thing that really knocks the wind out of me is this experience of reading this and, and just kind of aching in my heart and going, how, how, how is that possible? How is what Jesus demonstrates here for us and speaks to us even possible? In the last several weeks, we have seen senseless murder in the news. We've seen war. We hear across the globe of the continuing persecution of the church that is violent and ugly and despairing. And that's just the obvious stuff. We live in a culture that hates God. And let me get even more specific. We live in a culture that hates Jesus. It hates Jesus. It pretends to be friends with Jesus or to be cool with Jesus, but it isn't. Because it doesn't want to live in the world that he created and it doesn't want to listen to the instructions that it gives, that he gives. There's this swirling climate outside these doors that lives in opposition to God and his rule and his word. There are ideas and philosophies and frameworks and understandings about human beings thrive and live that are contrary to the word of God. There are stories that the culture tells us about what is and isn't good for us as human beings. And as they kind of swirl around us day in and day out, we come in here, and we're kind of awash in the agenda of the world system that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Ron talked a little bit about what John means when he talks about overcoming the world. Right? It's not this phys- physical ball of dirt that we live on. It's this system that opposes itself to God. In um, in John's gospel. The world, according to the New Geneva Study Bible, the world is the system of rebellion and pride that seeks to displace God and his rule. It is a system rather than the created order, which is not of the Father, and which has already been marked for judgment and destruction. Those who are not of the world receive the word of the the Father through Jesus. There's a momentum or a kind of driving force that... That's a motivation and and it's fueled by rebellion and opposition to Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. There's a current that's sweeping over us and through the institutions of our lives that's darkening the minds and hearts of people who aren't submitted to Jesus. In 1 John 5, verse 19, we read that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And I don't say this to be alarmist. I don't say this to give you the impression that I'm going to build a bomb shelter in my backyard or that I'm going to start some kind of preppers blog or anything like that. But I do say it so that we would be aware, right? I I say it so that we would have understanding and not be naive or childish in our thinking. I want us to understand what we face as Christians because I want Jesus I want Jesus to get all the glory of this promise. It's really simple. It's like, if what we have in front of us isn't a big deal, then Jesus' promise is, can be seen or experienced or understood as smaller than it is. But if what's in front of us is insurmountable trouble, if what we experience in the difficulties that God gives us in our lives is really daunting, then this promise should be staggering and unreal. And I want you to get that. I want you to get that. I want us to get that. I want us to acknowledge that just like the Israelites were backed up against the Red Sea, we in this moment have the kind of God, the kind of Savior that makes mountains shake and tremble. I want us to feel the heft of what Jesus is promising. I want this promise to sink all the way down to the bottom of who you are so that it can be a ballast in your boat, so that you can be sturdy when the tsunamis of the world are crashing around you. I want you to be anchored when the hurricane of worldly storms are blowing all around you. I want you to possess in your soul Jesus' peace, when turmoil and tumult and unrest and upheaval are assaulting your heart and yanking it away from focus and faith in Christ. That's what I want. And the great thing is, is that that is what Jesus wants also, right? This is what he's giving away. Even though he is hours away from being tortured to death, this is where his heart is. This is where Jesus' heart is. He's not like me. He's not like me. If I get in a little car wreck on the way home from work, I'm gonna sulk and then I'm gonna feel sorry for myself and expect everyone in my life to like cater to me. It's Father's Day. That shouldn't happen to me on Father's Day. <laughs> Jesus isn't like that. He's facing the hardest, most difficult torture, crucifixion, and death. And he said, Hey, 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 hey. you, you take heart. You don't be worried. Hey, don't be shaken. Don't be rattled. Don't be knocked off course. You, I'm caring about you right now. His friends, his compassion for the men that he was laboring with and for us. He looks at them and says, it's going to be hard, but I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this because I want you to have peace in me. I want you to be able to take heart when they kill me and when they come for you, which is what happens for most of these men eventually in their lives. So today I'm just going to do two really simple things. I'm going to talk about what it means to have this peace in Jesus, what does it mean to have peace in Jesus, and what does it mean that Jesus has has overcome the world? What does it mean to have have peace in Jesus, and what does it mean that he's he's come to overcome the world? And the first way I want to do that is I want to talk about what the peace of Christ isn't. I'm going to talk about two things that the peace of Jesus is not. The peace is not, the peace that he's offering us is not the peace of our circumstances. Over human history, there have been wars and famines and fights and conflicts and strife and all kinds and forms of human uproar and battle and clashes and combat In our personal lives, circumstances will rise and circumstances will fall. We'll see times of circumstantial peace, and we will see times of circumstantial unrest and difficulty and challenge. Circumstances are not a reliable or sustainable source of peace. We can't depend on them, and any peaceful circumstance that we are in won't last, no matter how much we beg it to last. No matter how much we want that peace to last, our circumstances can't control it. Our circumstances can't give that to us. And even though we believe that if things were just different enough, everything in our lives would finally be okay and we'd finally have the kind of peace that we're hungry for, I'd finally be all right. That just isn't true. The peace that we read about here Transcends circumstance. The peace that Jesus offers is not the peace that the world offers. And make no mistake, friends, there are versions of peace that the world is dangling in front of your face right now, and it's different for every single one of you. The world tells you that if you only had the right job or only had the right boss, then you'd be able to have peace. If only you were skinnier or taller, or funnier, then you'd have what you think you need to have peace. If only you could make enough money, or have enough influence, or have enough love from your children, then you'd finally be able to have peace. Or maybe you hear in your heart of hearts that if you could only achieve the portfolio, or the accolades that you long for, then you'd finally have peace. Or maybe if People would just love me enough or like me enough, then perhaps I could have peace. Or maybe if I was just good enough or smart enough or right enough, then I'd finally have peace. But those things will fail you. They will fail you. They don't get to the bottom of the kind of peace that you really need and the peace that Jesus is really offering. So we're going to talk about some of the core realities of the peace that Jesus is offering. If you stop and ask yourself, where's the place that the absence of peace in my life matters most to me? Where's the place in my life... Where if I don't have peace with something or around something, it devastates me the most, distracts me the most, takes me the most off course. What would that be? We want peace because there's a lot of things in our lives that threaten that peace and we think keeps us from having it. But, and there's also many, many reasons to be worried. There's lots of opportunities around you all the time to be anxious or unsettled and ultimately There is a conflict that determines the most important things about who you are. About who you are. What's the conflict by which every other conflict in your life kind of hinges how much effect it has on you? Of all the conflicts that have come and gone throughout history, what's the conflict that matters most? And the Bible tells us, and this is the conflict that happened at the beginning in the garden, and took up residence in all of our hearts. Mankind is in a perpetual state of mutiny against God. A perpetual state of rebellion. And a perpetual state of revolt against the living God. Since the moment we turned our backs on, this, on his word and his instruction. And said instead, I will do things my own way. I will worship myself instead of the creator. I will look at myself as God. And I will make all the rules for how things should function We've been in sin and been at odds with our creator. We've lived with indwelling sinful enmity with God. And since that moment, mankind has been, a, been an enemy of God. That's the peace that truly matters. That's the gap and conflict and affront that has to be solved. And it was lost and rejected in the beginning this peace with the living God is what we need most and first and foremost. That's the peace that you most fundamentally need, not the peace of your circumstances and not the cheap and hollow and fleeting peace that the world offers you. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ since we've been justified by faith. And Romans also says about Abraham that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This believing God is faith. Believing Jesus' words today in this moment in the scriptures is how faith works. Jesus says things to stir our faith so that we would believe and be anchored And be made whole and be strengthened by it. He says things to us right now in 2022, and He says things to us because it matters. He says things to us and He says, Hey, all those things I spoke, I said for a reason. I said for a reason. I have plans, I have purposes. There's, there's purposes and reasoning behind what I'm saying. He says right here in our text, I've said what I've said so that you may have peace in me despite what you're about to walk through, despite what you're about to watch. And Jesus talks to us and he tells us why he talks to us. He gives us his own reasons and he talks to his disciples here because he's trying to accomplish something in them. Jesus tells us things so that we will believe him and be united with him in faith because in him we get to have peace. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Nobody else in your life can give you the peace that you need. We need the kind of courtroom peace of a guilty criminal whose crimes have been paid for. We need that kind of peace and the cross makes that peace Possible. We need the kind of peace that does what God requires of us and meets the righteous requirement of the law. And Jesus offers that peace to us through living a perfect, sinless life and giving us his righteousness. And we also need the kind of peace that the son shares with a loving, delighting father. And Jesus offers that kind of peace as well. We need the peace that comes, the kind of peace that we need between a judge and a criminal, and we need the kind of peace that comes with a, a loving father and a son in perfect communion together. Human beings are broken. We sin in our thoughts, we sin in our words, we sin in our deeds, and sin is disobedience to God, but sin is also something that permeates our hearts and minds, and it gives us this kind of sinful and corrupt inner disposition to want to disobey God. We're inclined to love anything in our lives more than God. We're born into this world with a sinful nature that bristles, that bristles at the reality that God's in charge of us, us. We're born bent towards sinful self-glorification and God won't have it. He won't be mocked. He won't let his glory be stolen. He won't be treated that way because he's just because he's just. And he actually won't let anybody get away with anything from the beginning of history up until the end of history. Every scale will be balanced in the end. In the end, every sin will be punished, either in hell or on the cross. And every single sin will, will be atoned for or, um, or will, God will mete out his justice against it. And the only way to be at peace with this God, the God that we blasphemed and despised, It's through the cross of Christ, and we need that kind of peace that the judge of all the earth offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and more, we need the peace that comes from being in relationship with a loving father. Listen to John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. One commentator points out that Jesus gives us His peace. Jesus gives us His peace. It isn't manufactured and it isn't frail like you and me. It isn't fickle like you and me. Jesus' peace and His loving, perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That is what he gives to us. The peace and security and stability that Jesus has experienced with the Father is ours to have. And multiple times throughout the New Testament, we're told that we've been adopted and made into sons and daughters of the Father. We get to call God Father, and we get to relate to him as a loving Father. And here Jesus tells us that the peace that he's experienced with the Father from eternity past is something that he now gives to his people. The powerful and harmonious, loving, perfect peace of the Son with the Father is ours, to have and abide in. We have the peace of a clear pathway to the Father. We have the peace of our guilt being removed. We have the peace of being fully and completely forgiven forever. We have Jesus's peace that he has enjoyed with the Father always. That's the kind of peace, that's the kind of peace that supersedes and transcends the fray of our lives. That's the kind of peace that can transcend the circumstances that we're facing. The peace that Jesus offers isn't escapist and it isn't denial. It isn't some sort of plugging your ears and closing your eyes and humming and pretending like it's not this hard or this ugly or this difficult. It's a peace that sustains us in the midst of the storms. The peace that Jesus offers is a peace that comes in the face of of the pain that we will have in this life. We will struggle with frustration. And we will be blindsided by heartache. And we will be caught off guard by the many challenges of living in a broken world. And Jesus doesn't hide that. He doesn't pretend that the road ahead is going to be easy. Jesus is up front and in our face about the facts of this life. In this life you will have tribulation. In this life, you will have distress. In this life, you will have hardship. In this life, you will have problems. That's what living in this broken life and world means. It means you're going to face some stuff. And that stuff that stuff is probably going to be a lot harder than you expect and way, way harder than we would ask for. But take heart. Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. Have courage. Take heart. Have confidence. I have overcome the world. Let that fact sink in for just a second. Let that fact infuse you with confidence. Let that bolster your faith and your joy. Let that fact rush into your soul and fill it with zeal and commitment and courage. Because I look out at this room and it isn't, um, it isn't fuzzy or obscure. Like I see faces in this room who are walking through really hard things right now. Really hard things right now. I look at the faces of people who are in some real trouble. And so, so I want to say on a morning like today, like Jesus is here. And he is with you. Jesus is here. And he is with you. And he has overcome the world. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus has overcome the world? And I want to talk about just two things that it means right now, today. I don't think I can exhaust that in a thousand sermons But the two things I want to talk about is Jesus has dealt the death blow to the kingdom of darkness once and for all with his work on the cross and his resurrection. And the second one I want to talk about is that we overcome the pain and tribulation in our lives. We get to be overcomers of the pain and tribulation in our lives through participating in Jesus's overcoming death and suffering and resurrecting power. Everyone gets the trouble part of this text. Everyone. Everyone in this life. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian in this room. You get trouble. You get that you have trouble. You get that you walk through trouble. You get that part. Jesus doesn't put any qualifiers on that part. But the peace only comes to those who believe. Who believe. That's how you get the peace that is in Christ. Everyone's going to walk through trouble. Not everyone is going to get the peace. You have to believe It's the only way to have that. You won't get it from the competing strategies in your life. You won't. I promise you. Believing everything that Jesus says is the only way to have peace in Jesus. The kind of peace that you and I need most. And when I read this statement when I hear Jesus make this promise, I don't know what kind of circumstances you've had in your life, but the ones that have humbled me in my life caused me to cry out in my heart with my eyes shut in my prayer time with Jesus and say, God, this promise has to be true. This promise has to be true. I don't know if you've lived long enough to find out that you don't have what it takes to do this by yourself. I don't know if you've failed deeply enough to cry out to God and say, you're the only way I give in. I give in, I give up. My circumstances look like too much to bear. But where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. This promise has to be true because you know what it's like when you see the sham of the other promises offered to you from the world. They fall short. They're cheap. And bankrupt. And I actually pray that God has been merciful enough to show that to you already at this point in your life. When you see that there's no wizard behind the curtain and everyone you love will disappoint you, and when you're faced with the haunting fact that even if you get everything you want or think you need in this life, it will not make you whole. This promise in that moment thunders, thunders over every gap and fear and tragedy and disappointment and says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In John, in first John chapter three, it says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy them. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through, the, through death he might destroy the one who's, who has power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's you and me. And then in Colossians 2, it says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's in the cross of Christ. You could summarize it this way. Jesus is overcome. Jesus is overcome, period. Jesus has overcome every obstacle that stands in your way to fullness of life, and stands in your way to life in God and fellowship with the Trinity. That's what he's overcome. Jesus has overcome every single flutter of opposition to himself and his inbreaking kingdom. Every hurdle, every hurdle that we have in trying to believe and love and obey Jesus is an overcome and conquered hurdle already. Already. It's already been dealt the death blow. They're all beaten. Every drop of remaining and indwelling sin inside of you and every whisper of opposition to his kingdom has been overcome ultimately and finally already. It's already good as done. The accuser is thrashing about like a wounded animal, but his days are. Are numbered. His days are numbered. We know the end of the story. The future is different. It won't always be this way. But Jesus did not conquer like everyone wanted him to. He didn't conquer like everyone wanted him to. Jesus is on the verge of walking through the most painful and difficult circumstances of his life. He's been preparing these men for the dark days that are ahead. And this sentence is how he decides. To, to conclude this long discourse with his disciples. Up till now, Jesus has been having a horizontal conversation with the disciples, getting them ready. Hey, I'm telling you this because, I'm telling you this because, I'm telling you this because, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. I'm saying this so you won't fall away. I'm saying this so that when the world hates you, you get it. I'm saying this so you know, so you know, so you know. And the final thing he decides to tell them before he moves from horizontal conversation to vertical conversation and starts John chapter 17 with the high priestly prayer is, take heart, I have overcome the world, the whole thing. Jesus didn't conquer how they thought he was going to conquer, how they wanted him to conquer. The last thing he wants his disciples to hear from him before he begins praying is that he's overcome the world. The other things The other things that we look to for peace can't overcome the world. They can't make that kind of promise to you. The other things that you look to for peace can't keep good on what they offer. It's so cliche that it's a mystery that we still believe it, but money can't buy you peace. Money never wins any victories in your soul for you. The Bible says that our love of money is often a great hindrance to trusting and believing Jesus. Stuff can't give us peace. Platforms can't give us peace. Sentimentality can't give us peace. The only way to have true and lasting peace is to get it from the only person who can give true and lasting peace. And that person has to be able to overcome the world. This is why we can have peace. Jesus overcomes sin and Satan and death and darkness. Jesus breaks into the broken, dark world with light. With light. Listen to John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome that light. And the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And yet the world didn't recognize him, didn't see him. Jesus's kingdom is overcoming the powers of darkness, death, and brokenness everywhere the same way that light hits and dispels darkness in our hearts, right? Indwelling sin is being sanctified and thrust out of our hearts and souls through Jesus Christ who is the light of men. This is what's happening and that light continues to reach further and further and further and spread and one day the victory will be fully realized and fully accomplished and darkness will be no more. And you and I, brothers and sisters, friends, you and I are not spectators We're not in the stands. We're on the field. We are participants. If we are united with him in a death like his, surely we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're united to his death and his resurrection. That's the power that he is using to overcome the world. We participate in Christ's death, in Christ's life, in Christ's resurrection through faith. Through faith. That's Why the counterintuitive instructions that we get in places like the Sermon on the Mount are there. We are to bless those who who persecute us. We are to turn the other cheek when we are slapped. You participating in the suffering of Christ when you lay down your life for your enemies is how Christ is overcoming the world. Jesus defines it. We participate in overcoming the world when we don't let the world define how we engage. Take heart. We have confidence. Receive the courage that Jesus offers. We can suffer because he suffered, but he won. He won. We can die to ourselves because he died and rose again. We can endure the pain because he endured. And now pain's days, pain's days, I mean pain, capital P, pain's days are numbered. One day it will be obliterated. It won't be a thing anymore that you can think about or understand or, or engage or experience. He endured the pain so that we can endure. It's only a matter of time. We overcome by following Jesus into selfless sacrifice and suffering. That's how we participate in Christ's triumph. By following Jesus into selfless sacrifice and suffering. That's how we participate. By picking up our cross and getting after it one simple, boring step at a time one in front of the other. As I, as I move to kind of conclude this sermon, I want, I want to do it by uh, giving you one final illustration. So in reference to just like the world that yanks on our attention, that pushes us, that provides us all kinds of alternatives than what Jesus gives us here. I want, to, I want to give us this illustration. The position of our entry doors downstairs to this building, the ones that were down front, maybe they were open when you came in. They're, they're positioned in such a way that the wind kind of wraps around this building often. And if you open one, the wind will just kind of hold it open. And the wind just kind of blows in dust and leaves and whatever else on its own. And if you have friends who have old houses or you've ever been in old structures, you can stand next to the windows in the winter or anytime and put your hand next to it and just feel the breeze kind of just constantly coming through the cracks. That kind of swirling wind of the world's emphasis and desire and pull on our hearts and minds is always banging against, always banging against um, like metaphorically the walls of this building, but the church isn't a building. The church is people. So it's always banging around on our hearts and our minds and our souls. It, the wind that's swirling around us works that, that, that same way. The one that pounds on your mind and whispers, Did God really say? The scripture uses this kind of language when it says, We should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This warning is in the scriptures because Paul wants us to know what to expect. The same way that Jesus wanted his disciples to know what to expect. And just three chapters from now, Jesus is going to be crucified. And later in Acts, Peter is going to explain that he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God on the one side... He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was the craftiness and cunning of deceitful men who were able to crucify Jesus and, and it was God's plan that Jesus should overcome the world through that very same action. In this world, believer, you will have tribulation but take heart, because just like Jesus' tribulation, God's using your suffering in the same upside-down and counterintuitive way to overcome the world. Remember as I close, Romans 12:21: "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In a minute. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and before I do that, I'm going to give some instructions for communion. We take communion here every week at Redeemer as a proclamation, as a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes again. We'll have a station down to my right and my left, and a station in the center here that's gluten-free and single-serve, and we'll also have a station up in the balcony we, uh, we break a piece of bread off and we dip it in a cup. The stoneware is wine and the glassware is juice. We come up every single week to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again and proclaim to our watching world the kind of um, death, resurrection, servant, kind of um, giving away of himself, of, of Christ's sacrificial leadership to his people that we would eat his flesh and drink his blood. We do this to proclaim to a watching world, not only what he has done, but also what we plan on doing, give our lives away for other people. So I'm going to pray and we invite you to come up and take communion whenever you're ready. Dear Jesus, thank you. Hey, thank you that you've overcome the world Thank you that there's no obstacle or difficulty or sin in my life that you haven't already ultimately defeated, that you haven't already ultimately like conquered, conquered. It is so hard to see over the mountains of what we're facing, to see past the horizon of what's in our face. And yet on the eve of your crucifixion, that's what you were giving to your disciples, that's what you were saying. You were saying it is going to be so hard that it's going to be right up in front of your face in a way that challenged you to ta- challenges you from taking any steps. But Easter Sunday happened. You came back from the dead. Would you give us um, a new realization and a new kind of uh, experience of walking in your resurrection power, of believing, believing that Easter Sunday is coming in a a final way for all of creation. You win, you win, you win. You won't be defeated and you're gonna get every drop of glory for every victory. So would you give us faith? Would you give us um, spirit of God come and let us eat and drink in faith this morning? I ask in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Come up when you're ready.